This is how a ton of bad podcasts are born. You're having a conversation with somebody and one of the two people is like, hey, this conversation is great. We should like start a podcast. And they're like, oh my God, we should totally start a podcast, right? Well, what should we call our podcast? How about like the, the Billy and Becky show? Yeah, yeah, we could put our faces on the cover art. This will be awesome. We, we have such great conversations. We have such great conversations. One year later, you get a feed with like three and somehow one half episodes in it. And each of them opens with amazingly well-produced intro music. Followed by professional introduction voiceover. And then when the show actually starts, it's like 60 minutes of meandering nothing. That is how a ton of bad podcasts start. I'm hyper aware of that and hyper allergic to that. And given what I'm about to do right now, I just hope I don't break out into hives. Here goes nothing. It's new and fun, but totally uncertain. It's unthinkable. Stories of conventional thinking at work and the people who dare to question it. I'm Jay Akunzo. So... I have no idea if this is going to work. None. But that's kind of what makes something worth doing, isn't it? The trying. Here's the deal. I look back over the last decade or so of my career, and I find the most memorable, most transformative, most addicting types of conversations I've had with other creative individuals all have similar dynamics. There's some kind of pleasant setting. My old porch back in Boston, a local cafe or a bar. There's some kind of drink we're imbibing. Coffee, tea, something stronger, maybe. And then there's this one other person, usually somebody whose work seems magical to me. Somebody who reminds me that I got into this work because I am enamored with the possibility of it all. But then I also have to jump back into the practical world to make stuff happen every single day. And this person I talked to has somehow mastered that. They're comfortable getting really big and deep, but they also know how to translate it into actual action and progress. Best of all, these people I talk to are just aligned. The conversation is a constant leveling up of good feelings and ideas, a sort of volleying back and forth of each person saying stuff like, right? And then, and then this, and the other person goes, totally. And then what about that? And the first person is like, oh man, that, that also means this. These conversations rarely appear on a podcast. I don't know why. Maybe because we're all trying to be very important business professionals. Or maybe it's because it just takes a while to warm up to each other, to get deep. But this year, on Unthinkable, I want to understand one thing that I think talking to people like that on my show could really help reveal. I want to fight against all the shortcut culture in business and instead understand what it takes to be consistently creative. As we embark on that journey together, I figured I'd try to get some of those addicting conversations recorded, and I want to bring in some creative friends and some new people I'm just meeting for the first time to do so. And all of that is dancing dangerously close to, we should totally start a podcast. So here's what I'm doing to try and make this a little bit different, a little more refreshing. I'll be using samples of my past episodes and sometimes the guests' past work as a jumping off point. 
we'll replay those moments that we think are interesting because of what the story is about or the production choices I made or the guests made in creating the thing, you know, that sort of deeper meta level of making stuff. And together, we'll go really deep down tons of mental rabbit holes. If we need it, we can reset back to this consistent spine of a single project that we're using to deconstruct big topics around creativity in the workplace. I'm calling this segment of the show Creative Cafe. Today's guest is Dan Mills. Dan is like if a honey badger put on some glasses and a really nice flannel shirt and then learned just a few more manners for his brutal honesty to actually feel kind of nice and helpful. Thanks, honey badger, Dan. Oh, and Dan is also the creative director at the video tech company Wistia and a lifelong musician. Today's project that we'll deconstruct, that we'll kind of use as that jumping off point, is last week's episode of Unthinkable, Resonance versus Reach, featuring Patreon CEO Jack Conti. And I chose this episode for Dan because, well, you'll see. The more artistic side of my life is my songwriting. And that's something that, like, I get out of bed and I, I want to do it every day. It's something I can't not do. And... There's like a skill to getting it done and there's a skill to like working with limitations like time or, okay, I want to record this song and I don't have a huge budget on the next record, so I'm not going to write a part for the band. So in a sense, business finds its way. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's probably some really, really like true artistic ventures that many people more artistic than I am have been on. And there's some that I've done that are just for the sake of art, but business in some way finds a way to influence the art. And I think that you're the genuine, I mean, the theme that we're both agreeing on is that it's starting to cross over the other way that art is having a huge influence on business. Right. And and you can kind of like, if you go a little level deeper, I guess, to the human elements here, what Jack was talking about was resonance versus reach. At the end of the day, if, if you're going for, if you're going for what people will click on over what is valuable to people, those are very different questions. And I think, I think advertisers are mostly concerned with how many eyeballs, what will people, what will people consume? Not what will people value? If you look at what will people value, what will people pay for? What is profound and meaningful to people versus what will people watch? What will people listen to? What shit listicles will people read? It's a very different, you wind up with a very different set of, of content, a very different set of art. And I think that it's funny because, you know, I manage creatives and even sometimes like I'll see someone on my team, whether it's a video idea or a writing idea, I know the idea. They are like, they want to do it. It's going to be fun for them. They're not quite thinking about the business goal at that moment, or they're stretching the aesthetic to be able to experiment. And you have to like, especially in a management position, like you have to be able to recognize like, okay, I got to let this thing happen because this is inspiring for this person. There's an artistic side to this person that if it's not feeling, um, if it's not flourishing, then that, that next big piece of content, when that, what makes them tick really aligns with the business that won't end up happening. So it, it, even as a, as a, as a resource with people, like you have to be mindful if you're, if you're chasing after that more engaging content, you have to make sure that you have really engaged team members and that you're, you're balancing the projects. Um, cause obviously not every single business initiative is going to be the most fun. So I think just making sure that you're you're keeping tabs on how you yourself or your teammates around you are 
are working to make sure that you are growing as artists and you're growing as, you know, creative strategists within business. What was interesting about that episode is when he talked about how like today's audience, that, that home run versus the single. In the old world of, of media, where there's three distribution channels that reach the public, you have a home run driven artistic economy. You need to hit it out of the park to get recognition and to be on one of those channels that has mass appeal and hundreds of millions of audience members. To talk to Jack Conti is to talk about his fiercest beliefs on creativity. The longtime musician and video producer is now the co-founder and CEO of the software company Patreon, which helps creators build membership businesses and get paid. In the new world, with the internet and infinite distribution channels and infinite niche markets, we have the single economy. You can hit a single. And if you hit a single every couple of weeks, oh my God, this is the first time in history you can hit singles as an artist and it actually works as a career. I just like totally agree with that, that we're in a totally different environment with, with how niche you can go on the internet and how you can create an audience that is, although they might seem smaller than some like, you know, other campaigns you're running might attract, they are so engaged, it's gonna have such a big impact on your brand. How do you think about the first few seconds of a video? Like when you and Chris are scripting, or you're just like thinking about it or consuming videos you admire, like how do you come at creating great openings? First of all, how important is the first few seconds? And second of all, what do you try to like put there so people actually care about the video? That is a great question. It's funny because we're working on one right now. And we, we call it I mean, for Wistia, it's a, a, a little bit of a different beast. The majority of the videos we do uh, lean into humor, and there's and um, and there are certain videos that are more serious in tone, but um, for the for the most part, it's humor. Um, we know that we have a few seconds to rope somebody in if they want to watch this video. So what we honestly try to do is, you know, like you know, we're working on a product launch video right now, and it's it's probably one of the last things that we think about. At first, it's like, hey, do we have the message of what we have to say about this product? Is it super visual? Will we be able to shoot it? If not, sometimes you have to come up with a concept to overcompensate for how not visual the product is, and that concept will end up driving what the opening is. For instance, we launched an enterprise plan a few years back, and um, that's not really a very visual product. It's a, it's a new pricing plan. So to do it, we since we had nothing to show, we decided to host a parade. Now, because the concept is now, okay, the product has not a lot to show, we need to drive it with an idea. Now it's the parade. So now you have your opener, like what's the natural way for the parade to open? Okay, it's a profile shot, you start seeing it, you know, come down the street, like you would as someone who would go to see a parade. Then there's other products. And I'm specifically talking about product launch videos right now, but I'm happy to talk about all types of videos, love videos. Um, <laughs> when you have a product that is really visual and it's and really your job is to just get this in front of people um because it's going to do the work for itself i think it's your job to make sure the the beginning um basically isn't so jarring that you've thrown them in there but it's catchy and hooky enough that like they understand they need to pay attention so it's a delicate balance like you know maybe 5 years ago we might write a gag at the top of a video that was like 25 seconds cuz it was super funny but now it's like, is that really serving this product? Probably not. And you can see it in the drop off that this is just feeling like a culture video. But um, so, yeah, I think it's really we first try to understand how much the creative has to help or how much it has to kind of get get out of the way. Um, I'm sure you're looking for a different answer. 
I, I love know that what I like about that point, what you delineated is something it's it's super nuanced, which is why I want to do this series is to like go really deep in these nuanced, messy, tiny creative decisions that we all go through every day. Sure. And then we very rarely talk about it when you hear a podcast. So so the delineation was hey, if this is about promoting a product and we know everywhere this is going to appear, people are probably already customers or they're clicking a blog post that talks openly about this being a product feature update. So we don't have to like explain too quickly who we are or why you should care. We can jump right to something relevant to the product and why it's important. You're still saying, here's why it's important, but you don't have to couch it in a humorous moment or a tease of a story first. Whereas like there's other types of content I'm sure you guys are creating where when you open the video... You know, it's a little bit more of a teachable moment or, you know, telling a story. And so, like, you start creating questions in people's minds. Like, what's this all about? I'm intrigued. Like, the way a TV show at the extreme of this spectrum would just start you in a cold open moment. Right. Like, Breaking Bad zooming in on, like, a charred stuffed animal floating in a pool with debris Love that. I knew The second you said Breaking Bad, that was the exact episode I thought of. But keep going. It's, like, one of the best cold opens I've ever seen in my life. It's... it's I totally and, agree. And what I, what I get... I get frustrated at with, I mean, in my medium of choice lately, which is podcasting, people front load the most either pointless or boring parts. Mm. Like two, like two things tend to happen. Either it's theme music for reasons. Like <laughs> why, why do you need that? I don't know. Cause that's what other people do. That's you're supposed to have theme music. And by the way, that's usually like the highly produced, like there's a, you've hired a voiceover actor, you've purchased this music and it's crystal clear audio dovetailing into a tinny awful microphone with a boring host like if your best production value is your theme music you got you got bigger problems but then the second way people open these shows is like reiterating who the guest is and they're going to tell you their bio anyway because that's usually the first question people have or like front-loading ctas and housekeeping and it's like the most important thing in my mind is purchasing someone's attention like saying to them i'm giving you a reason to keep listening keep going so like with the Jack Conti episode, the first question was, what am I? And I left it hanging a little bit. And I played some music. Like one of my favorite things to work on is, is how to open these things such that you agree implicitly to like keep going. Because that's kind of like, that's a, a almost like a fool's errand today to be like, I'm going to put out 30 minutes of audio and I'm going to get people to listen to 30 minutes of like, that's insane. Right. And a lot of the behavior I see around the industry makes it even harder. Right. So I love opening things and trying to give you a reason to to listen. And for me in this episode, that was asking a question and sort of painting this picture of like, I done messed up. What am I? I don't mean why am I here and all that human experience stuff. I mean, what would you call me? What is it that I do exactly? I make stuff that I want to make for a career and I'm far from alone. Whatever made you weird and quirky as a kid or whatever, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, what kind of business should I build? You should scratch your own itch. The world is filled with people who just are not communicating in any way that's clear and useful. And I wanted to do something about that. I know personally that when I see something like that, I really react and I want to share it with people and I get really excited. So I want to make that kind of content myself. I've always drawn, you know, I mean, I've always, I, I come from an art major and I uh, drew comic strips for many years. Each project I want to be a step better than the one before. You know, if you're thinking about like a business, you use the word content. And um, it, it really like takes all the joy out of the concept of writing and takes all the art out of it. Because remember, there's creativity with that small C, but there's creativity like you're creating your life. 
When you make stuff for a living, you come up with all these clever titles to describe the work. Podcaster, author, speaker, creative director, experienced designer, content writer, which is kind of like saying food chef, isn't it? Content writer? Anyway, just listen to how I started this show. I don't mean this episode. I don't mean this season. I mean this entire podcast. These are the very first words I spoke in episode one, published in March of 2016. I'm Jay Kunzo. And for a while now, I've worked as a writer, a podcaster, a producer, almost uh, an artist in business. But which of those am I really? I'm an artist. I create stuff. I create things that make me feel and make others feel too. I'm an artist. Not a starving artist, not a painter, not somebody who rebels against the man, but I create. I'm an artist. I'm not almost uh, an artist. But I say it like that, I bury it, because I'm talking about art in the business world. Yeah, you're... I mean, I, I think the reason you get a lot of these videos that are formulaic or or what you mentioned, podcasts that are formulaic is, is you know, with, with so many people having access to the technology and so many people like, oh my gosh, I can do this. I think everyone's absolutely correct first instinct is like they're following the formula of some podcast they listen to, which I think is the right thing to do because you have to get over that hump where it turns into, I think I can do this to you actually created something to be like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And then you have to get into the nitty gritty thing is like, okay, now how do I do this well? Um, <laughs> and so you start making a few videos and they look exactly like the videos that, that some other brand has made. But the problem is you're not those people. That's not your brand. So they're not working. All you've done is proven to yourself, I'm capable of making a video. And then you're left with that challenge. It's like, how do you, how do you make it shine? With Wistia, um, you know, Chris and I, like I said, we lean into humor. So a lot of times we sit there until we think of something that is, first off, it's doable in the timeline. Um, we have access to the people we need, the props that we need. Um, it's not like a too lofty of an idea, just all the scope stuff. And then it just has to tickle us. Like if it makes us laugh and we think it's funny, and then if, then we have to also go down that path, like, okay, is this, is this the sense of humor that is our work sense of humor? Is this a little too funny for us? Is this too like uh, self-serving? Um, but like really, if we think that Wistia can sort of shine by being this breath of fresh air in your day, where it's like, that was a really delightful video. It made me smile. It has to make us smile. Same thing with the intro to your podcast. You're like, why do I, how am I going to get people to care about this? And I think whether or not you'd phrase it this way, you chased after, well, how can I communicate to them how I care about this? And that, I think you did a great job at that because second you said, who am I? It's like, okay, here's Jay exposing an existential question that he's actually asking himself. Now I'm interested because I'm interested in the host and I'm interested that he's interested. And so I think that you, yeah, you have to think about your audience. Think about like, why, why are you doing this? Why do you actually think that your shit is good enough for someone to listen to and actually answer that question and then follow up by it, by doing it? Like, like do the thing that makes you different. Yeah. And, and showing people that your shit is worth it. Like not telling yeah. people, most people are like, I'm super excited. I, we have a great episode today, as opposed to every other episode where what you had a terrible episode. Like right. <laughs> you know, as a as a keynote speaker, it's this weird tick that a lot of public speakers have. Most professionals have, I think, gotten rid of this, but some that get paid still do this. It drives me bonkers. Which is like they get up, they say thank you, they you know whatever, and then they say I'm really excited to be here. Of of course you are. Like what right. else would you be? What that's wasted 
time it's fluff it's fat trim it out there's, there's a phrase yeah. like kill your darlings in production editing right i'm sure you've heard oh, yeah. that oh i'm very familiar with the process <laughs> so yeah i don't know this is this, maybe i'll title this episode murdering your darlings yeah <laughs> yeah i'm a mass murderer of darlings probably because i just have a lot of bad ideas <laughs> i love that uh can we talk quickly about something i said as a throwaway comment but it really yeah. sort of I, I don't want to turn this into a grinds my gears episode but i think you can relate to this no i'm oh i love it content writer that's like saying food chef like is there a video is there a video example you could say like content writer you're not writing anything but content you can just stop saying content writer and be be a writer right it's pretty redundant it's a little redundant is there is there a video version um let me think you don't say like video filmer you're not a filmer you don't say video you say shooter um I don't know. I don't think there. I think that like the video version, like we're borrowing all of our vocab from like the television and movie industry, right? While like content writer is kind of a, a new term that like needed to be invented, but like all the other ones are used up. Like you can't just say, I mean, you could say writer, like, or, but you can't say copywriter, right? Because that's well, not copy what it to is. me is like the, well, it's like the economical use of like little snippets here and there. You're not totally. writing stories or columns or advice. And I think exactly you started down this road, which I, I like started lighting up in my head, which was like you're taking as a video team internally at a brand, you're taking terminology from. Uh, media, Hollywood, et cetera, that doesn't feel they need to couch the terminology to somehow hide behind how creative it is, how artistic it is. That's exactly right. Yep. Whereas in, in marketing, when, you, when you're a writer, saying content writer, I think it dilutes it. It's like, it's it's it cheapens it. It makes it more of a commodity. You're like, what am I writing? Well, I'm not writing stories. I'm not writing columns. I'm not a columnist. I'm going to write content, which is this like hollow, almost like lowbrow container. Like it, it necessarily lowers the gaze of yeah. the person who does it. And I think if you, as the individual, if you just said, oh, I'm a writer, you feel more pride, you feel more excited, and you'll do better work. I think you're 100% right. And I feel like, all right, I'm going to try to track the etymology of content writer. Here's my here's my guess from someone who sits in some meetings. <laughs> I love this. Um, so when you're thinking of how your business is going to invest in marketing, for the year, right? There's all these different levers you could pull. You can do, you know, paid acquisition. You can funnel leads the sales team. You can lean into top of funnel videos. You could lean into content, which we which we know what that means. Even though it's going to end up being a lot of right, like content is video. Content is stuff that goes out on social. Content is a million things. But I think the last, you know, as the last few years, blog content, written content had had a real big time, had a good era for blog content the last 10 years or whatever. So I think that when you think of those meetings where headcount gets dis discussed or investments get discussed, people don't say, um, for any team, I'm going to invest in software engineers. They say, we're going to invest in our product, right? Or we're going to invest in um, cost, like uh conversations that help our customers, we say, no, we're going to invest in support. And so I think that when we're investing in marketing, we're not investing in writers, we're investing in content. And so I think that the the business goal, like whenever I think of Wistia and decisions I need to made, make, it's always Wistia comes first. And then next to that would be my team, the creative team. And then underneath that is me or any individual. Um, you know, it's not always me, whatever the individual it is, they should follow that too. And so I think that the, the term really comes from probably how the investment discussion happened and how the headcount got approved. But you're right that like on the other end of that, how does that feel to the person that like they, they now need to know all these other things they can't identify as a writer? Are we not getting people applying um, simply because it feels like to sell out of a job when really it's exactly what we want? I, I, th I think you're right. That, that right yeah. there. 
oh my gosh, like that right there, like we talked, you talked earlier very briefly, it's almost like there's ships passing in the night where there's a bunch of creative people in the world, whether they're students and they're liberal arts and they're not like, I know I want to be in finance or whatever, I know I want to go on this path, or they're already in the work working world and they're pursuing a multitude of creative projects. Maybe it's music, maybe it's something else. And they have that creative bent and they don't realize all these jobs really do exist. And like any job, there's ups and downs to it, but they exist for creative people to occupy. And then they hear phrases like content writer. And I'm sure coming across that, like a like college student version of me who wanted to be a sports columnist, if I saw a writer at insert creative brand here, sweet. If I saw a content writer, I'd be like, ah, shit. I completely agree. I mean, I, I struggle with that when I made like I had a very, very slow transition from basically full time music and acting. And I started doing some freelance things to like kind of make it work a little better. And then they started to spiral out of control. And here I am many years later, primarily in the business world. I, I find a way to balance the music thing, which is great. And I'm, I'm psyched about it. But um, I don't think that was possible. Um that would never have happened with me applying to a job. Like I had, it was in part of that was an identity thing. And like, I can totally admit that. And I think that's fine. And I think that as we try to hire, um, I try to be really, uh, I, I try to remember what that felt like when like, okay, something about this freelance mix of jobs or this pursuit of film that I'm, I'm, I'm something about it's not working yet. Something about taking your job sounds so lame and it's just a language issue. And it's just like a, uh, a misalignment like and so i think about that a lot when we're doing hiring so people probably will like if they look at this episode and they're looking at it or appreciating the edit so there's you know making stuff for makers as as i do it's like i can give the thing i made and then i can also give like how i made it the behind the scenes because there's that meta appreciation when it's a creative person on the receiving end too and so i think if people were to appreciate anything about this episode it's probably what what meg calls the vocal collage where i like surrounded key points that jack was making with old audio I'd captured from some of my favorite creative people. I've been a creator. It's just instinctive for me to express myself. I am a creator. Creativity begets creativity. I've seen and I've felt firsthand like. And that's, I was proud of that. And that's cool. And I, you know, I, that was a wrinkle I want to try. I have a backlog of content I don't dip, dip into, but I think you and I make stuff all the time. And I think what probably gets us excited or at least where we start to get obsessive are our small moments yeah sometimes overt and people can identify them a lot of times hidden that that we appreciate right where it's like when we nail that little thing we know the whole is better served as an experience but somebody might not put their finger on it so i want to i want to share with you my favorite little moment and and then we can talk about this concept after slogging through idea after idea, project after project, his videos finally, mercifully started to succeed. He even had a few that, quote, went viral. 150,000 people subscribed to his channel, and a couple videos exceeded millions of views. And then, at the end of the month, an exhausting but at long last proud month, Jack looked at his revenue and saw a few hundred bucks. I wasn't there to record Jack's reaction at the time, but I imagine it sounded something like this. Yeah, you let it you let the bleep go for like a minute straight. Yes, I let it go and then I I dubbed I like kind of blended that with the music that came in. And I was like, 
so irrationally pumped to, to like make that basically curse word an artful moment a musical moment you know so like people might not notice mm-hmm. that but that was like my most i don't know I was, uh, that was like the little badge i'm gonna take with me that no one else cares about that i care about well i think it's like to me i look at that as like you have like certain things you can do right you can chop up someone's interview um to make it more articulate that's like the most basic edit i imagine that you could do is just get rid of all my ums and anytime we go down the wrong rabbit hole then you can also take certain sections and reorganize it so it's not chronological so that you have certain parts that hook the listener or you leave them hanging on certain things that make them want to keep going. Um, then you have the ability to narrate. So you're able to jump in at certain points and, st- and pull the viewer or, or listener out of our conversation and then actually be sort of giving them like a, like a, like a sermon about what we're talking about. And then you have this other thing that you, just, that you did. And th- there's probably a million more. I could list devices all day but like which is that you can just sort of insert humor you can highlight you highlighted um how awful that must have been for him in a very funny way you wanted to hit the point harder and you did it in a funny way and so i think that um i imagine what got you excited about is maybe you hadn't played with that device yet it was like a new device for you and maybe you've heard it before maybe you never translate it to your own work but i know that when when i have that happen in my world it's the greatest thing ever it's like even though every episode or every video or every song i make is different i know in the back of my mind i if i'm doing the same process right or if i'm chasing after the same combination of metaphor metaphor literal and rhyme or something like that but it's when you shift the 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 thought process that's behind it that's what's exciting for the creator yes i liken it everything oh i i basically have two categories to draw analogy and metaphor from and first of all i have to speak in 75 percent analogy and metaphor because i was an english lit major i did not know that yeah that's how you get a return on your english degree is you just speak in metaphor did you ever see andy samberg's no it's not oh no the john mulaney um <laughs> stand up 150 you spent it already yeah he's like where i walked across for books i didn't read in a language i already spoke <laughs> <laughs> and then uh you know i got a letter from my uh my college the other day uh uh and it, it said something what did it say oh give us some money yeah <laughs> exactly i love that bit <laughs> i love that bit too so i was an english lit major so i i pull from sports because i was a sports writer and then i pull from food because i'm italian i'm three quarters italian one quarter jewish so lots of food lots of volume Pizza bagel. Oh, God. I kind of hate you right now. That's what we call it. I mean, I, I'm Jewish, 100% Jewish, but grew up in a town where everyone was Italian. So pizza bagels was our common ground. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a, I'm a pizza bagel. Heavier, heavier up on the pizza, I guess. Yeah. Uh, thin crust bagel, if that exists. Lots so, of cheese on your pizza bagel. Oh, so much cheese. So, so because of that, I pull from food when I think about what you just said. Like, um, some people will see what a creator builds and they're like, they get discouraged. They're like, I can't possibly be that good. And like, who am I? They get imposter syndrome. I see it and I'm like, oh man, that's such a tasty dish. I want to make that. Or like, I didn't know that ingredient existed. I want to try using it in something. Or I didn't know if you blended those two flavors, you get this. Like I get super excited to know how much more, how many more ingredients actually exist and how many more recipes both new and, and sort of borrowed you can play with right and so sure. when i when i heard i watched like anthony bourdain's west texas episode and he usually narrates the bejesus out of some of his episodes and he was really stayed in that one and he let a lot of the music and a lot of other voices speak on his behalf or you know the the production team 0.0 did that and so like 
I wanted to try that. Like, could I, instead of doing all VO, could I have other people break up Jack from past episodes? And then instead of doing um, what I usually do, which is like, I use little moments of music to transition or to carry longer points. I let me use a lot of music. So there's very rare examples where there's no music bed at all. Like, I just want to try that stuff, you know? And I, I think some people get excited and some people don't. And I, I sympathize with the people that don't, that feel fearful or imposter syndrome, but I can't empathize. I'm not able to actually get there myself and I've never understood why. I think it takes time. I think it, like, it depends on what it is that gets you excited. Like, there's like a really fast turnaround for create something, put it out in the world. And I think a lot of people right now are completely okay with with that turnaround. Like, they want to make the thing, they want to put it out in the world, and they want to have the response. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that I wish I had more of that. Then I think there's people, um, and it's not this binary, that the process of making it and having it improve and having it like continue to grow. I think everyone has that no matter what, like someone who has a crappy sounding mic, really just want a better one the next week. But people have varying levels of how much that is the part that they enjoy. Even for me, I do a lot of different things. And like, for instance, in songwriting, that is the number one thing that like keeps me writing songs is I want every song to be absolutely better than the next song. In video creation, just because we're doing it in the business, like sometimes we got really good at writing scripts, right? And so we're writing scripts and writing scripts and all of a sudden you look back for four months and it's like all we really did was different versions of this same thing, right? Like we just wrote snappy scripts. Everything else is like a different idea that's fitting in the formula we've created. 110-100, for example, which is this big piece of content that Wistia made I worked really closely on um, last year. That was the first time that we had to lean into all these different transitions and story arcs and 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 it was a, a different muscle that we hadn't really um, – exercised. And so I think it was a reminder for me in my, in my video brain that like, yeah, I want these videos to improve. I want them to improve, improve visually. I want them to improve pacing wise. And I want to try different things. But I think there's so much that can, when you're making things that is satisfying. And I think that different people, depending on where they're at in their career, where they're at with the specific medium, different parts of it, get them excited. And um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, You've done so many videos. What I'm curious about is like, how do you avoid a feeling of stagnation? And, and you know, I call it, I'm working on this, this like chart where you can like plot what I call emotional decay. It's like almost anybody can invent one moment where like someone reacts to their work, either the creator or the recipient. And they're like, yeah, that feels good. But then over time, if you don't do something else and it, and it, you know, you kick out the same damn thing over and over again, it grows stale. And like you lose interest as the creator and the audience loses interest as the receiver of what you've created. So like you guys could easily fall victim to that because you create so many videos. So do you have like, is there a conscious system in place or how do you like refresh your work such that you're engaged and you know, the audience won't lose interest too over time? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is from your perspective, it might seem like we don't. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. If you're truly a creative person, it, it always feels like you're always going to feel stagnant at some point. It just happens. It could happen within three weeks. It could happen within six months. I think it's not about having a system in place to avoid it. It's about being self-aware enough and comfortable enough to recognize that it's happening and then write it as fast as you can. And so I think that for us, 
um, with videos, if we recognize that we're feeling that way, sometimes we try to get out of the office. Sometimes we'll slack off for a week because maybe we just need kind of like a mental break. Uh, maybe we'll try to make a video that has nothing to do with the business. We'll just go shoot something for fun. We'll buy a new piece of gear. Um, try to find someone in the business who needs a video and would like love to work with us, but just because we haven't been giving, giving their team the attention. Um, but there's a million ways to solve it. That's kind of the easier part. The hard part is just recognizing when it's happening. Yeah. So I'm curious about, like, I might write the book on this. I'm curious about consistent creativity where it's not like what I, I think what most businesses and teams construe as creativity or what I call random acts of creativity. It's like make the numbers go up or make something that we're measuring pop or jump in a room and brainstorm. It's like a, like creativity to them is like a stunt double. You call it in as a substitute for the real work, but I think creativity is the real work. And so how do you do it consistently? You, you don't just find the thing and beat it to death, nor do you just like launch random disconnected, you know, ad hoc things and try and go viral or whatever. I think you have maybe a system or maybe it's just implicit where you're like, always refreshing the work like consistently creative work consistently changes yeah and but the, the key there is recognizing when you need to change like how how do you do that i think that um i know my personal journey as a creative started with songwriting that's just that's and and i'm glad it did it's a very difficult art form uh like the three minute pop song because it's so small it's so short. There's, there's, you know, a million that have been made. A million is really an underestimate, but um, or a low estimate. Um, but it's three minutes long. Everything's already been done before. There's only so many chords. Um, yet I just felt this desire to, tr to. I still feel it to try to write the best song I could ever write. And um, what made me um, good at what you're talking about, being able to recognize when something's not working, is I wrote so many bad songs, just so many bad ones that you get comfortable um, with being self-aware about your output and understanding what went wrong or what's not working. Um, and then also you get comfortable if you're going to write that much sitting down like it is a craft and trying to turn like there's certain days that I'm super inspired and a video idea or a song idea will come to me instantaneously. There's other days where it's not, but I still have to get that idea. I can't always just say, and sometimes you can pull this card, like, oh, I'm just not feeling it, but you have to learn the craft of creativity. You have to learn how to sit down and figure that stuff out and how to work through it and set up your own processes or figure out who your close collaborators are that inspire you. And so I think for me, um, how a company needs to do that is they need to find people and they exist in whatever the art form may be who have figured out how to treat creativity um, as the craft that it is. And they need to help scale that with people that are promise, like show promise in the creative arts or creative business, whatever we want to call it. And they can actually help them get better. Um, but it is, um, it's tricky. Certain days you feel like, like, you know, I'm a little bit, I'm, you know, I'm 33 years old. I've been making creative work for a really long time. Certain days I feel like, like an old veteran. I've been doing this forever. And other days I just feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. And, um, you just have to always, you just have to get to that point where you believe that I can figure this out. It's, it's always just a puzzle and you can figure it out. You just might need some help. I mentioned before my belief that like consistently great work consistently changes. Um, it's not about finding the thing and putting it on repeat. It's about a continual 
you know, state of refreshing the work that you do. Uh, and that keeps you involved and that keeps the audience entertained and educated. And, you know, it resonates consistently over time. And I think there's two ways to refresh your work. You can remix things, which Wistia does constantly. It's like different people enter the videos, different topics. Like we use the drone in this video. There's small little different incremental things that make each video different, unique, awesome, etc. Uh, and then there's a second way, which is not incremental like remixing. It's more fundamental, which is reinventing. And I think 110-100 represented a step in a direction that was entirely new. Like it was noticeably almost like a reinvention of what Wistia does or is known for. Um, why do you think, like what made you decide the timing was right to do something that radically different? Um. I think we knew what reinvention felt like and we were doing really authentic things with video, just showing who we were five, six years ago. Now everyone has a phone, everyone FaceTimes, everyone's sending really raw videos to each other um, constantly to communicate. So like authentic video that felt kind of behind the curtain, like that's just how we all communicate now. I think the type of video that we made for our audience, like that was getting stand. They had seen this video for a really long time. Then on the other hand, you have all of these brands, like big brands that are making, you know, incredible content now. Like, you know, that is, you have Netflix that's just churning out show after show after show. And the quality is just getting so good. Um, and the line between am I being marketed to or am I being entertained is just disappearing. And so I think Wistia, um, we just knew that We'd been doing the same thing for our audience. The world had been changing around us. And because of those two things, we needed to go in that direction. We needed to take a bigger, we needed to make something that showed the world how much we believe in video content. And it took something like 110100, I think, for us to feel like we did. I think a lot of business storytelling, it tends to oversimplify. Like I had a moment of inspiration as an entrepreneur or a business leader. Then I encountered this obstacle here, but then through this pithy maxim, I succeeded. And like mentally, that process takes no time at all to grok. So this must have been an overnight success. And like that's a business story. And I kind of got fed up with. I did a lot of that, and I think I, I've consumed way too much of that. Even though I disliked it, I found myself falling victim to that. So in the ending of this episode, I did something that I, I'm not used to doing which is I kind of let the guest take over for a while and just end it. And it wasn't like, and it's also solved or like, and the good news is we have a solution coming. It just was like, this is shitty and I feel passionate about it. It's so demoralizing. It, there's such a discrepancy between what artistic people are worth and what artistic people are paid. And like, there's a big part of that that's like anger. Like I'm angry about that. I'm, I'm excited to fix that. Like it's, it's, it's such an important problem. And at the end of the day, like we all lose if we don't fix that. The artists lose, the people who enjoy the art lose. Um, everyone loses if we don't fix that societal problem. The internet is a global system and that global system is incentivizing the wrong things. And it's, it's not paying people what they deserve to be paid. We've got to fix that. We've got to fix that. So yeah, that's why I'm so fired up about it. I very specifically recall listening to this because I was in the, I was in a cab on the way to work and, um, 
I was finishing off the last 10 minutes of the episode and he went on this rant and and I mean I, I'm a funny person to be asking this question because I I have such a similar experience to him with music um where I've worked really hard and I know what it feels like to be like getting all this feedback and people love it and it just financially doesn't end up on the other end. I completely agree with him. I think the way the artists are paid is ludicrous, especially especially musicians. And so I I was just a consumer of that content at that moment that was like the target audience for that guy. Like I was just like, yes, I'm with him because I just was so enamored by his mission. And I just thought it was really cool that like, that's what he's waking up every day and he's fighting. You know, when I think about with Wistia, I'm waking up every day and trying to prove to the world that, that business can be more creative. The whole way we do it can be more creative. Um, so I, I love that ending. I, I, I totally connected with it on a personal level. Um, the other story, if I can say it back to you to make sure I understand it right, is that a lot of stories we hear about a successful business is like, um, I was walking around, I saw this problem existed and I solved it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's like what I got annoyed with and chose not to do here is to like put a bow on it. Right. And I feel like when you tell a story in business, it's almost like a, maybe it's a, a reactionary thing. It's like, I want to protect myself from people saying like, this sucked. You didn't give me the answer. You didn't give me the five simple steps or you didn't give me the one pithy lesson. And I've really shied away from that. But I feel like the stories I love they just kind of make you feel a lot of messy shit. And like, you realize like life is messy. I think the best stories like are centered around a great character and like a great person that you, that you care about and you get your audience to care about this character. And so I think tying it up in the bow, now you're sort of going down that content route. Like what's the actionable thing I can take from this content and doing it the way that you did it. Um, it made you understand why the CEO does what he does, why every day he wakes up and he cares about his business. He cares about the customers that he's, that he's getting to use his product because he thinks he's, because he is trying to solve a problem. Um, so I think it's a way better way to end it. I'd much rather know the truth about why this person is having success. And the answer is, is because he's doing what he's passionate about. Um, that is a bigger takeaway for me. It's not as on the nose, but I, I think that sometimes when we create things and we want it to be actionable or we want to make sure it's servicing some business goal, we, we, we sort of play to this lowest common denominator that doesn't even exist. Like I took away what I would imagine you wanted me to take away from that. And had you tried to sum it up for me, it, it, I might have not been as uh, open to hearing it. This episode of Unthinkable was written and hosted by me with production help from Meg Jore. Shout out to Dan Mills, the most helpful and well-adjusted honey badger in all the land. If you have thoughts on this type of episode on, on the Creative Cafe series idea, please, please, please tell me. Good or bad, I really want to hear it. Just tweet me at jayacunzo or email j at unthinkablemedia.com. And by the way, if you're new to this show and you're enjoying what you're hearing, Check the show notes for some other related projects like my weekly newsletter and my book. I'm Jay Akunzo, and until next time, trust your intuition. See ya. See ya.